0: We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Well, good morning, Hope Church. It is good to see you on this gorgeous Memorial Day weekend. We are. We're in this series right now called Sculpted, and we have been going through the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians is such an amazing book where you see it kind of broken up into two sections where Paul is talking about theology, and then he begins to talk about, now, how do you live this theology out? And and in this series that we've been in, it's really a practical series that helps us to live our faith out. So, you know, we call the series Sculpted, but you'll see the tagline is, is Masterpiece in Progress. That we all believe that we are in progress. Aren't you glad that you're in progress today? That you're not where you're going to end up. That we're still maturing. We're still growing. I'm so grateful for that. Um, I wanted to open up with a story that I, um, I remember when I was probably, I think this might have been 6th or 7th grade. Um, there was something really popular at the time. It was a jean company. And I don't know if you guys remember this jean company, Gerbeau Jeans. Anybody remember Gerbeau Jeans? Okay, this was a French designer that had these really cool jeans. And, and the way that you knew that it was Gerbeau Jeans were, let's look at that photo once more. There was a little tag or right, some people say here in Montana, tag. So I say tag still, but it was a, a little tag right there on the fly that was white, and it said Jerbo jeans, and that was like, you would you would never wear your shirt untucked, because you wanted people to see the tag. You wanted, you wanted to show it off, and I remember I got really lucky one day. I told my mom I wanted some jeans like this, and we didn't grow up wealthy. We grew up you know, in humble, humble beginnings, and um, my mom was like, I'm not buying you these jeans. They're like, you know, when I was in sixth grade in the, in the 90, early 90s, you know, this is like very expensive jeans to spend 50 or $60 for a pair of jeans. She said, no, I'm not going to do it. One day, she finds a pair at a garage sale. And she brings them home, and I'm so pumped. I'm so excited that I had Jerbo jeans now that I could wear. So I didn't know what the rules were, I just knew I wanna show them off, so I started wearing them to school. Funny thing is, I didn't realize this until doing research on these jeans now, but I remember very distinctly that my jeans had the white tag and the straight. Pockets. Now, I want to show you something that I discovered um, so show me the next photo on the left is a pair of men's Jerbo jeans and On the other side is a pair of women's Jerbo jeans that I didn't realize I was sporting in school Until this week. That's just further humiliation because the actual story that happened Was I wear these jeans at school? I'm trying to show them off and, and you know people notice it you got the jeans And then the next day I'm like, that went pretty well, like I'm gonna do that again. So I wear the jeans again the next day and someone calls me out and they're like, you wore those yesterday. And I was like, no, I got like a bunch of pairs, all the same color. Like I got a bunch of these jeans, man, we're wealthy. And somebody called me out because I wore the same thing that I wore the day before. Today's message is called, you wore that yesterday. You wore that yesterday, and I'm not talking about jeans the whole time, but there's something that Paul talks about that is going to remind us there are certain things you wore yesterday that you need to take off today. There are some things that we're going to have to lay down. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into the Word. Lord, we thank you so much for your Word. We're so grateful for your love for us, that you've given us your book of instruction, your letter of love to us. God, we're so grateful. So today, we ask that by your Spirit, you would make wide the doors of our heart so that you can enter, so that you can speak, so that you can plant seeds that would develop and that would grow and that would make us more like you. So God, we dedicate these moments to you. So grateful for who you are in this great nation that we live in and those that have gone before us that we celebrate and we remember today. Lord, bring revival and let it start with us in Jesus' name. amen. 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 So Ephesians 2.10 is really our key verse for this series. It says this. It says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So you are God's masterpiece. You might not look like a masterpiece yet or feel like a masterpiece yet, but you are that work in progress right now. Now, the verses that we're digging in right now, we are in Ephesians 4, and really I'm going to wrap up the chapter starting in verse 17. And in these verses, we start to get into, starting in chapter 4 on, you start getting into these Christian living passages where Paul is giving a lot of instruction. Here's how you live, here's the things you should do, here's the things you shouldn't do. And on the surface level, it can seem a little bit legalistic when you read some of these verses. Like, I'm checking some things off the list so that I can do my Christian thing. But, you know, one of the things that we realize in this, in this um, series is that Paul was with Ephesus longer than any other church that he planted. He was with Ephesus for over three years. And when you're with a people that long, you've really, you really fall in love with those people. You begin to really care for them and you want the best thing for them. So with that context, I like to look at these verses thinking Paul is not trying to give them a list of things to check off, but he's trying to say, listen, I love you so much that this is what it means to follow Christ, but I believe this is also the best thing for you. If you follow these words of instruction, your life's going to be better. It's going to be more fruitful. So it's not about earning grace, these, these verses are not about earning grace. They're about walking in grace. So the grace that God has already given us, we have been saved all because of Jesus. If you remember, we said at the beginning of this series that the series that the phrase in Christ is found over 30 times in the book of Ephesians. It's all Jesus who does it. So we're not doing these things to earn salvation. But we're doing these things to walk in the grace that Jesus gives us, okay? So let's, with those things in mind, let's look at this. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 is where we'll stop for just a moment. With the Lord's authority, I say this. No longer live as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. And you and I would be Gentiles. We are not Jewish by birth. There may be some with that lineage, but for most of us, we are Gentiles by birth. Um, we, we are, uh, they were hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life God gives because they have closed their minds, hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. Very, very familiar to today's culture. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. They're not just sinners, but they can't wait to sin. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off. Somebody say throw off. Throw off, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit. Renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on. Somebody say, put on. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And I love that he sets the context, and he's he's speaking to Jews, but he's also speaking to Gentiles. This church would have been a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and he is speaking to them, and he's saying, listen, The Jews had a little bit of an advantage. At least they had the law. They had shame. They had fear of of going against God. The Gentiles had nothing. They're at a great disadvantage. There's no fear of God. There's no understanding of God. There's no understanding of right and wrong other than what they invent out of their own pleasure. So he's saying that this is the disadvantage they've been at. Don't act like that. He's saying that when the Spirit of God begins to come and He dwells in you, you act different. There's something that you're living for and living from. The Spirit of God is giving us a will to do what is right and and to to follow Him in a way that is impossible in our own strength. So he's saying, here's what it looks like. And he's about to give us a long list, but he's kind of just setting the stage right here at the beginning of this passage that here's what it's going to look like. Without Christ, hopelessly confused. Darkness, no, no idea where to go next. He says, you're lost without Christ. I heard a crazy story this week. Pastor Lance was just talking about sheep and the, the shepherd's heart for, for the sheep. And I heard a story about a sheep recently that got lost. So this sheep in Australia gets lost. And this sheep actually has a name. They named it recently because of what it went through. Its name is Barak. So Barak the sheep, okay? So Barak gets lost years Years. And they finally find this sheep in the woods. He has 75 pounds of wool on him when they find him. 75 pounds of wool on the sheep. So, you know, at, at one glance, you're kind of looking and you're like, well, that sheep is pretty big sheep. That sheep must have been a, t- a pretty tough sheep. You know what's crazy is that wolf was lost for so many years and had so much that <laughs> there were actually wolf bite marks in this sheep's, what um, uh what'd you call it? Wool, wool thank you. In the wool, there are bite marks in the wool where, the, where wolves tried to kill it and they couldn't get to it. They were just like, we, we quit, we give up. So this sheep wandered away from the shepherd. He's in the woods. He's picking up bits of the woods. It's this whole time that it's lost. There's sticks and there's mud and all this stuff. 75 pounds of wool and debris on this sheep. It looked like it was a pretty big animal whenever they found it. They began to shear this sheep. And as they sheared it, they began to weigh it all, and they realized, wow, 75 pounds of wool on this thing. Underneath the wool, they realized that the sheep was not actually healthy at all, but it was malnourished. And it looked substantial, but it was actually malnourished, very skinny. And it's been nursed back to health, and Barack is doing well now. But the crazy story, the crazy, is that me? Is it you? Somebody's, somebody's series going off. The crazy thing about this sheep is that it looked substantial. It looked ready to handle itself. It looked big. And I was just thinking about, you know, the phrase like keeping up with the Joneses. There's this, there's this thing that we all are like trying to like fill our lives with all these external things. And, we, and we're weighing ourselves down with all this stuff that looks so impressive. Man, look at all that on him. Look at all the stuff that they have. Look at their life. Look at all this. But underneath, Without the Spirit of God, we are malnourished on the inside. Well, on the outside, we look like we have it all together. And this sheep is found, and they find it in a very unhealthy state. And the wild thing about this is they discovered the reason that is, that, that could happen to a sheep. Years in the woods lost. Why, how could that happen? Yeah, I, my first thought was like, what happened to sheep before people? Like, did th- that always happen? Well, no. Sheep were bred. They were domesticated in a way that they would never shed. So that they could produce the most wool possible, so that a shepherd could continue to grow the sheep and they would keep shearing it and shearing it and produce as much as possible. So they were engineered in a way that they were not able to shed. You and I were created to shed certain things and times in our lives. We are not meant to let whatever comes out of us be a part of us. There are certain things in us that are harmful for us that are not supposed to stay around. Everything in nature sheds. When you think about it, everything sheds. There's, there's all these different creatures. Insects will shed. Snakes will shed. Bison shed. Elk. You see, you see antlers in the woods where they just shed. Every year they do this. A sheep is supposed to shed. Look at that tree on the right side. That's called a rainbow eucalyptus. When it sheds, the beauty is revealed. It sheds the layer. I know that's a whole nother message, right, Meadow? That's, but there's something about shedding that is in the way we are created, that we are created to release certain things that are not good for us, to let go of things that we were not supposed to have. So Barak the sheep, he's wearing this big thing, and it was actually killing him. Eventually, he would have been dead by not shedding by not letting go of the thing that he, was, that he was holding on to, that he wasn't meant to keep. Here's where the message title comes back in. There are certain things that you wore yesterday that are killing you today, that you have to shed. You are a new creation. You have to release that stuff you got to let it go. When Christ becomes part of your life and the Spirit of God dwells in you, He's constantly telling you, no, that's not good for you anymore. Let's release that. Let's let that go so that you can be healthy, so that you can run with endurance. You can't run with endurance with 75 pounds of wool on you. You've got to release certain things. I'm going to give you one point today. One thing, because it's the only thing that really stuck out as our main center today. So if you're taking notes, here it is. Your new nature is all Christ but putting it on is on you. Your new nature is all Christ. He's done it but putting it on is you. You're the one who puts on the new nature. What does Paul say? Throw off. I got you to just say it. Throw off the old nature and then put on the new nature. Throw it off. Put it on. He does what's impossible. He saves you. He redeems you. He gives righteousness where you don't deserve it. But you are the one who is responsible for putting on the new you, the one that he has created you to be. So you see that phrase 30 times in Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, it's all him. I want to just clarify, there's a difference between these two words that you see in Scripture a lot. You see the word righteousness, and you see the word holiness. Those words are different and I grew up I remember thinking that they were the same thing and they're not the same thing. Righteousness is it has to do with our position with God. Our standing with God and that is all Christ. You've had nothing to do with it. You just accepted that free gift of salvation that he offers to all of humanity. Righteousness is all Jesus. But holiness is our living sacrifice to God with our with the help of the spirit of course holiness really holiness means set apart it means to be set apart and that is something that you choose to do that i am going to set myself apart i'm not going to be like i used to be i'm not going to be like those influencing me i'm not going to be like what is popular in culture i'm going to allow the spirit of god to make to set me apart to be different than everyone else that's why when you, when you hear in, in Revelation, I love the picture. It says that there are angelic hosts singing about God and saying about God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Just forever, just constantly singing. They're saying our God is like no other God. He is set apart from every other power, every other authority in the universe. There is none like him. So that that holiness that he has, that actually Peter He writes, he's like, yeah, you got to be holy like he's holy. And it sounds impossible. And it is impossible for you. But with the help of the Spirit, it's something that becomes a reality. It's something that can be a reality. But it's not, it's not just that you say holy things but you actually change the way you live. I remember a couple of years ago, I was just playing with our kids in the living room, and um, I don't know how we got to this game, but I'm playing like I'm a pilot in an airplane, and they are my passengers. But we're sitting on the floor in the living room, and I'm just like talking to them like a pilot. I'm just like, all right, you'll be seeing in just a moment. We're going to be flying over the uh, Rocky Mountains to the right-hand side. And Brooklyn stops, like we're playing this game, and I'm the pilot, and she says, Daddy, you should be a pilot. And I was like, that's real sweet, baby. I said, but you know, there's a big difference between sounding like a pilot and actually being a pilot. Like I couldn't just go in a plane and be like, here's my pilot voice, do I pass the test, right? Like there's like some excruciating testing that goes into being a pilot. And I think there is so many Christians that we've got the lip service thing down and everyone sees how, oh, we sound holy. We've got the language down, but having the language down and having the living sacrifice down are two completely different things. And and Paul is not saying, I want to teach you how to sound right. I want to teach you how to get all the phrases right, how to do the... No, he says, I want to teach you how to live a life that is not yours anymore. That you're not just sounding like it, but you are a new creation. We, We were hiking in the two medicine area a couple of weeks ago and you couldn't get all the way in. So we kind of walked down the road for a while and it was a pretty windy day. And I remember at one point we're walking and the wind was so strong and it caught us just right. And I'm wearing kind of a a large wind jacket, you know, thing and, and I had my arms open and the wind was so strong that I was like having to slow myself down. It was just like pushing me, right? And it was such a unique feeling because I was like, I'm. you know, you walk for miles when you go on a hike and you feel the strain of it. And all of a sudden, with the wind at your back, uh, there was no strain at all. And that's how I, I sense, at least for me, it helps me to look at, that's what it's like when I allow the Spirit of God to urge me to holiness. That I've, I've had only a certain, a limited amount of strength. And actually, it's more it's more effort for me to turn around and walk against the Spirit. Because when I, when I surrender my life to Him and I say, this is who I want to be, and I publicly make that statement, the Spirit of God comes to live in every one of us, and now He begins to say, this is how you live. And with the help of the Spirit, it's like the wind at your back. Jesus even calls the Holy Spirit. He references like a wind. You don't know where He's going. You don't know where He's coming from. But there's just something, there's an advantage that you have That while you could never live holy on your own, the Spirit of God enables us and gives us a push. Here's how you do it. So with the help of the Spirit, we're able to live holy. So because of Jesus, you are righteous. You are already righteous. There's nothing you can do to affect that standing. And you are becoming holy, maybe, if you let the Spirit of God do His work. You're probably becoming holy. And it's a lifetime process. You are a masterpiece in progress. You're getting there. You're on the way there. So let's continue. And 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 one of the things I wanted to talk about just for a second, why does it matter? Why does it even matter that we're holy if we're already righteous? You ever thought about that? I've thought about that. Like, why does it even matter? Can I just do whatever I want to do? And like, I'm already righteous. Your holiness matters because your witness matters. And your witness matters because the gospel matters. And the gospel matters because people matter. And you have no voice. You have no witness. There's no gospel proclamation without holiness. The world's watching, and they're looking, and if your voice sounds just like theirs, and your life looks, what do I need that for? I'm already there. There's something about Jesus that should transform your life and make you attractive to a lost world. So verse 25, let's continue. So stop. This is what this is what Paul is like getting into now. He's like, okay, so you were lost and all that. Um, I mean, you need to you need to take off the old nature, put on the new, and he's like, and basically, this is what you should look like when all that happens. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we're all parts of the same body. And you don't and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And I wanted to stop at that verse and just give you a little bonus. That verse I've always heard growing up, don't let let the sun go down on your wrath. As I remember, I think the New King James says it like that. But don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. There are so many brain studies that talk about the power of the brain and what the brain does while you're sleeping. That the brain begins to heal, and I was talking to Pastor Lance about it this week, and he used the word defragment, you know, things that have happened throughout the day and all of that, and it's so powerful what the brain can do. And what happens when you sleep is your brain will normalize events that have happened. So you can go through, if you go through a traumatic thing as a kid, it's like it wrecks your life. You go through that same thing as an adult, and maybe you're a little colder, maybe your heart's a little harder, it doesn't quite affect you the same way, because you begin to expect that people just let you down. People are gonna hurt you. So whenever you go to sleep at night and you're angry at your spouse and you don't work that thing out, you wake up the next morning and you're like, I'm fine. But you're not fine. Your brain just made it normal. And the more nights you sleep without resolving that thing, the more bitterness you feel towards your spouse and you don't even know why. And it's so crazy that, like, all these scientific studies come out, and I just love when that happens, and, and I'm able to look at a, at a study like that and say, oh, yeah, the Bible said that, like, a couple thousand years ago, so we should just listen to that anyway. <laughs> but it's just such a cool thing to realize, you know what? This is not just Paul spitballing. Like, this is the Spirit of God speaking wisdom through him. Yeah. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. <laughs> Some of this stuff seems so common sense. <laughs> it's like, who are you talking to, man? Uh, Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. You may have heard the the translation, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, He has identified you as His own guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all Facebook posts. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, I misread that. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Yes, this is so wild to me. When I look at this checklist, It seems, as you read it, it seems very external. It seems like Paul's just like, do all these things. I'm under the conviction that these things are impossible without a deep internal work. Unless the Spirit of God begins to work on you from the inside out, these things are not going to happen. Because Paul's not, he doesn't just, I don't know if you noticed that, but he's not just like, hey, um, stop saying bad things. He's like, instead, say encouraging things. Instead of stealing, why don't you start giving? Instead of doing this, he's like, do the opposite. And he's not just like, don't do these things, but instead, do what your nature is not able to do. What your sinful nature cringes at, let the Spirit of God do that impossible thing. So what part, you know, what's part of what makes us, this tagline, God's masterpiece, is the identity of the Creator. The identity of the artist. Every artist has an identity, right? You look at works of art and you see certain things and you can almost recognize, there are certain artists that you can recognize who it is by their painting or by a sculpture and you're like, oh, that's a whatever. For instance, Picasso. What do you think of? When you think of him, you're like, my three-year-old probably could have done that. But it's art. It's beautiful. Picasso is known for some weird things. And I saw this quote from Picasso that I thought was so interesting. He said this, whenever he was talking about art, he said, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. It has to find you working. And what I took away from that is there's probably times that Picasso sat down to create and had no idea what was going to happen. Just started making stuff, started painting. Put the brush to the canvas and see what happens begin to see what happens. Now, I'm not saying our, our God is, he's the artist in this story. He's not confused about what he's making. But there are times that in the process, as his medium, we don't know what he's up to. That all of a sudden, as he begins to work, it begins to make sense. It begins to reveal himself. And one of the amazing things about this identity that Paul even says that you were identified as his own. You are identified by him. That artists don't just, you don't just identify an artist by what he creates, but you identify an artist by the process by which he creates. And there are certain things about the way God creates a masterpiece in every one of us that are his fingerprints on us. I saw a video that frustrated me so badly the other day. I I love to watch these little Facebook videos about things that guys create. I love watching guys do wood turning and, and, and all these different creative things. And one of them came into my Facebook video feed that was a, a guy who was doing pottery. It was tiny pottery. And I've never seen tiny pottery before, but I guess you've got to have small pottery too. But he's making small pottery. And, and what he's doing, and I had to research this and see how this all happened, but he took the clay and he threw it down. And it's called throwing, I believe. You throw it on the wheel, and the wheel begins to spin. And then he would begin to work the clay up and he would work it up and he would use tools and it would work and it would get taller and he would start to see what the shape would look like and then he would crush it and he would spin and he would push it down. And then he would begin to lift it again and then he would push it down. And I was like, what is happening here? It's almost something. It's so close (laughs) to looking like something. And then he just crushes it. And I kept, I, I looked into it and I'm like, why Do they do that? So I type something like, why are potters so insane? You know what? So he's, they're lifting it. And when they push down, it's a process called centering, centering. And what happens is they throw the clay down onto the wheel so that it can grab onto the wheel. And then as they begin to sculpt it and bring it up, there's a little wobble. It never lands perfectly. So there's a little wobble, and if they continued to try to shape and sculpt out of it while it was wobbling, it would be an imperfect structure. It would be an imperfect piece of pottery or cup or bowl or whatever they were making. So they begin to build it up, and they see where the wobble is, and they push down, and every time they push down, the clay comes down, and it centers itself. So they lift it, and they crush it, and they lift it, and they crush it until the clay finds its center. And then the potter can begin to create, and the measurements are perfect, and as the clay, it's got to be so frustrating, because the fire didn't even come yet. It's like, that's like another step down the line, but like just the beginning of it, and the rising, and the falling, and it's like, what is happening? In that process, you're being centered. God by his Holy Spirit, is addressing things from the inside, from the core, from the rotation of who you are. He's addressing those deep things that if that's not right, all the external stuff won't even matter because he's more concerned about your heart than he is about the external stuff. So you can sound like a pilot, but he wants you to be a pilot. You can sound right, but he wants you to be holy. So there's this this process that's happening that even though it doesn't make sense to you and I in the middle of it It's part of the trademark And you know what's beautiful Everything gets centered But not every piece of pottery looks the same No matter what it becomes it starts off being centered So what I love about god's process is that none of us are the same But all of us are new We're all different, but we're all new So he does this beautiful thing from the core out in all of us. And what Paul is saying, and I think that this speaks so, it's so obvious to see in today's culture. Paul is saying there's not a whole lot that will illustrate whether or not you are new other than the use of your tongue, how you speak, how you communicate to the rest of the world. There's nothing that's quite as good as an illustration of you being a new creation than how you sound. And, and, and I just wonder, like you know in your coffee shop conversations in your in your Facebook post and all of those things, do you sound new? Do you sound redeeming? do you sound hopeful? Do you sound like Jesus voice speaking to the world? or do you sound judgmental and retaliating and gossipy and or what what is coming out of you? Those things really they reveal Jesus said what comes out of you reveals what was in you. So what's in you is really it's just It's going to come out in your language. I heard a story about a woman who went to the pastor at a church, and she said, Pastor, Lord's been convicting me, and I want to put my tongue on the altar. And the pastor said, Lady, the altar ain't that big. (laughs) But there are some of us that when you don't control what comes out, there's no evidence of the Spirit of God at work in your life. And, and, and it is by, it is, this is what God is trying to get a hold of. Those difficult things, those things that we feel so justified, I got to say something. You know, you don't get a pass if you type it instead of speak it. So when you post it instead, it's the same thing. It's still, it still falls under this, this set of rules that Paul is trying to say. Listen, stop tearing down people. Instead, let your words be an encouragement. You probably, <laughs> everybody that comes in on a Sunday morning, there's very few of us that are going to come in and start gossiping and start talking bad about people. We're going to walk through these doors, and you got it sounding right. And some of you are going to go on Facebook today, and the world won't even know you're a Christian. What you type is the same thing because it comes from the same place. And, and I think that we, we're always looking for like these little way outs, Right? I want to weigh out. I don't want The Spirit of God doesn't really need access to that part. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm giving you this long list, but honestly, it comes down to this one thing. Does he have access to the center of you, the core of you? Have you allowed him to center you? So here's a question that Paul asks. Is your language foul or abusive? Is that what you sound like, either verbally or when you post it? Or is your language an encouragement to those who hear it? That's what Paul is trying to say. He's trying to say, listen, the way that you speak, all of it, and here's why it matters. Because the way you speak and the way you communicate is a direct precursor to the influence you will have in people's lives. If you sound a certain way, people will tune you out. And your influence in people's lives is more important than getting that thing off your chest. I want to speak in a way that people let me in their lives. Because the Spirit of God is the one who's going to deliver the harsh truth. That's not, guess what? None of you have the calling of Holy Spirit. There's going to be a time when God maybe asks you to do that, and usually in relationship or with a prophetic gifting. But by far, I believe we're called to encourage a lot more than we're called to call out people for their stuff. So if you, if you want to have influence in people's lives, speak life to them. Speak life, and the Spirit of God will address the things that need to be addressed. There was a group of people in Baton Rouge um, that they were called the Screamers. It was, a, it was a protesting group. They were like professional protesters, and they came from a little church, and they would just like look for every event that they could go to, and they would protest, and they would hold up signs, and they would yell at you, and here's the thing. They would find themselves at like they would go to LSU's campus, and they would be yelling at people for all their sin there. But then you would go to like just a weekend of music, family event, you know, when they would yell at people there. We had a big conference center in Baton Rouge where Christian artists would go there all the time. And I remember one time it was like Toby Mack or, you know, like all these different guys come out, and they're like good Christian artists, right? They go, and they're yelling at everybody there. They're just yelling at everybody you're all going to hell because you don't come to our church or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> they're yelling at everyone. And I remember one time we are at this concert and we are out there and they're passing out tracks and they're angry and they pass out a track to me and I get this track and I'm just like, I, I stop and I talk to the guys and I was like, how how, uh, how many people have you led to the Lord today? And they're like, nobody yet, but, but that's not really what we're here for. We're here to proclaim the, the truth and stuff. And I was like, I was like, really? I was like, do you think this method's really working? And they were like, oh, we know it's working because we have less tracks than when we started. You know, that guy, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm like, so you gave me a track and, and you think we're all living in sin kind of for being here. I'm like, I'm like a pastor of a local church here. Not saying that like I couldn't have my stuff not together either, but like it just seems like wasted energy was happening here. And, and, and I tried to have a discussion with them, and they just kept screaming at every event. And I just thought, I don't want to be known as that. Like, they had a name. They were called the screamers. Like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who's known on Facebook or known somewhere as like, oh, that's the guy. That's the screamer. Don't say this. Or if you want to, if you want to get him rolling, I'm going to type something about whatever. And you know how to get people rolling. I don't want to be that guy who is known as something will set him off that's political, that's whatever. I want to be known as the guy who's more passionate about the gospel advancing than he is about getting something off my chest and that that's what I use my my voice for. That's who I want to be. You all have a voice. Don't waste your voice by just saying what you want to say, by speaking in a way that makes you feel good in the moment and i know this is like a this is a real practical message but honestly i think it comes down to there are certain things that at the core of us we've got to shed and replace constantly so in the life of a sheep he's shedding and he's replacing he's shedding and he's replacing he's shedding and he's replacing the wool and right now, there are some things that maybe you've held on to that you need to shed. And maybe that's the reason your, your language is so foul or abusive or not encouraging. That There's a bitterness that you need to let go of. There's forgiveness that you need to offer someone. Maybe there's a perspective that the Spirit of God needs to change in your heart. Because I really believe that, that all these external things, I'm so glad Paul wrote them and encouraged us with them and, and said, here's what it looks like. But I I know that what Paul's really saying is it cannot happen unless you allow the Spirit of God to identify you from the inside out. you gotta let the Spirit in so that He can be the one that's heard when you open your mouth, when you live your life. So I just wanna give you a chance to just hear from the Spirit of God. If there's a moment, if there's something that the Spirit of God wants to say, hey, this thing right here, this bit of unforgiveness, this fear that you feel, this hurt that you have that you've held on to, it's changing your witness and I'd like to have it. Would you let them have it today? Would you let them have whatever the thing is that's keeping you from being who you're called to be today? So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and just begin to listen for the Spirit speaking to you right now and you know, that's one thing. For believers in the room, we, we have to constantly let the Spirit of God take Parts of us that we don't that we won't hold on to. But there's some of us here that maybe you're in the room or maybe you're watching online, and your story is I have not ever like surrendered my life to Jesus. And I don't even know what it feels like to want to do the right thing, but I do know this: that I am feeling a pulling into this God that you're talking about. I'm feeling a pulling to purpose. I'm feeling a pulling to follow this good shepherd. So maybe today is the first time in your life that you need to make a decision to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're online and this is the decision that you need to make as you're watching today. So I just wanna give you a chance. If you don't know Jesus today, but you can feel and you can sense in your heart a calling into relationship with him, The Bible says that the Spirit of God draws so there's something you can't even tangibly understand. But right now you're like, this is me. I need to say yes and surrender my life to God today. So maybe you're here and you would just say, you know, I'm I'm not faithfully following Jesus. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this of just surrender and admitting your sin and your need for God. But maybe you've done something like that long ago and you'd say, you know what, I, I have not Followed through on that verbal commitment that I made. And today I recognize my need for God. So I want to surrender my life to him. So if you're here today and you would say, I'm not faithful following Jesus today. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, could you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Thank you. I see it. Thank you, Jesus. If you're online, please just let us know just by writing in the comments, hey, that's me. I prayed that prayer today. I accepted Jesus today. I surrendered my life again to Jesus today. Because we want to pray with you. We want to follow up and let you know you're not alone today. So I want to pray a prayer of just surrender before Jesus. And then we're going to pray a prayer all together where we surrender our tongue. So can we all stand up together? And we'll pray and then we'll go into a moment of worship. Just letting the Spirit of God to do a deep work in us. Let's just say this together. Let's surrender our life together in this prayer. Let's say, Lord Jesus. I need you today. I'm hopeless without you. I can't be righteous without you. So today, I accept your free gift of salvation. I know you gave your life. You died on a cross in my place so I could have a new life. So today, I follow you. My whole life is yours. Make it count for your glory in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. God, we just ask right now that as we go into just a moment of worship, that you would make aware our heart, the thing that we have held from you, the thing that we have kept from you. Make our heart aware of it, Lord, so that we can release it the thing that we have not shed, the thing that we have not let go, Lord, I pray that you would help us right now by your, by the power of your spirit to release it so that we can look like you, so that we can sound like you, so that, and when we sound like you, it's not just show, but it is from the inside out, holy from the inside out. Help us today so that we can illustrate your gospel to the world. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.